I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And I'm Katie. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 144th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we have deep talks about Star Trek. And today, some Star Trek adjacent material. We're going to be talking about the Woman in Motion documentary about Nichelle Nichols, specifically her work with NASA, which is now streaming here in the United States on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, just uh, before we get started, I just would like to do a little housekeeping and say that nothing new coming out Friday, June 11th. Uh, So we're kicking that week off. But then uh, Dave and I shall return on June 18th to kick off uh, three weeks of Deep Space Nine talk. We're going to be going into Deep Space Nine season four. So you have that to look forward to. And um, in the meantime, we're going to be talking about this uh, documentary, though. And we have a guest uh, first time on the show joining us. Uh, Katie is here with us. Hi, Howdy. Katie. Hi. You know, I was about to wave to Katie, and then I was like, "It's good. then I'm going to look like I'm the guest. I'm like, yeah, it's me, the guest. <laughs> hey, Sorry. Katie. Hi, Katie. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we're uh, we're glad to have you here because we would have looked like a couple of uh, buffoons if we were talking about a documentary called Woman in Motion and like didn't bother to find like an actual woman to <laughs> to talk about it. So thank you. For taking the time out of your busy life to uh, join us today. Well, I appreciate the invitation. And you're fun to talk to. We've uh, we've done a stream together uh, before on uh, our friend Starfleet Boys channel one time. Yep. I don't know if you remember that. It was a while ago. But uh, so glad to have you here. Uh, whenever me and Dave bring on a new guest, we do like to ask, uh, how did you get into Star Trek? What was kind of your, your Star Trek introduction? Uh, I watched Star Trek as a child. My mom was a huge Trekkie and a huge sci-fi fan. She read sci-fi like out the wazoo and she was the one who watched Star Trek. So I was the tag along and grew up with it basically. Uh, what what uh, show in, was in she the watching? Oh, uh, the original. And right on. Did, yeah. You... Did the two of y'all watch any of the other shows together or did you, you uh, explore those on your own? Um, I definitely explored that. My mom uh, didn't stay with me all my life. So, um, but she, uh, so she passed in like the eighties or something, but um, I kept watching. I I think, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, Captain Kirk is is all, will always be my favorite, but I watched them all along and I still watch them periodically, especially with Evan. Um, Yeah. Uh, any standout characters? You mentioned Kirk, but uh, anyone else or any like standout episodes that you you're particularly fond of? 
I mean, it's gotta be, it's, I mean, as a woman, it's always Nichelle, um, you know, and the, obviously being a, again, being a woman, um, it was amazing to see that first kiss and know how that, that changed, you know, the culture of, of acceptance and, and everything like that. So, you know, even if that wasn't my favorite episode to watch, that has to be my favorite episode. What? Plato's stepchildren isn't your favorite episode to watch. That's crazy. I thought everyone <laughs> loves that one. You know, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, pre-internet, uh, when I was uh, like growing up in the 80s and maybe even watching reruns in the 70s, I don't know quite when it would have been. Um, I, I, at some point fairly early on in my life, I was aware that that kiss was kind of historic. And I don't know quite how. I'm, I'm sure it was from my brother telling me about it. And he probably read about it in like Starlog magazine. Or, or something like that, um, but uh, but I knew even as a kid, uh, or at least as a teenager, that it was uh, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, even just the show in general, having different cultures on on the deck, it it just made like, oh, that's how it is, right? So it just made you know, but it wasn't like that in real life, right? So um, I think it led the way to our our mindset of being just more accepting in general. What's uh, Kirk's line? No room for bigotry on this bridge. <laughs> leave, leave your bigotry in your quarters. I think that's it. Probably shouldn't leave it there either. But I yeah, knew just <laughs> I knew what he meant. Airlock, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> well, all yeah, right. This... Shall we dive on in? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, woman in motion. I had, I guess, forgotten that this documentary was made, but I guess it was made in like 2019, and it kind of got a lot of attention now because Paramount plus the home of all the modern star Trek shows here in the United States. And also the, uh, all the classic shows as well. They're all streaming there. Um, but they they put this on their platform, which I think is probably a good place for it. And even though it's not a, not a new episode of star Trek, we're going to kind of treat it like one and just talk about it. Like we talk about all the, the new content they've, they've been releasing the last few years. Uh, but I had not seen it before. Did either one of y'all, uh, watch this, this documentary before. Mm-mm. No, it was uh, essentially new to me. I, I remember hearing about it, like, I think, here and there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, completely new to me. And much of her story was new to me. I, there's a few big anecdotes that I think m- most people in fandom know about, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it. But, uh, but her history as a dancer and some of the other, some of the luminaries she met and some, some of the, a lot of great stories that are told and um, uh, really the entire NASA connection was was new to me. I can I can't believe I was that in the dark about so much of that stuff. But I actually knew about the NASA connection um, for a while now. But I, you know what I didn't know is that she began as a dancer and wanted to be a ballerina. That was new to me. So I was in kind of the opposite boat. Like I was pretty familiar with her early days and her early career and how she got involved in Star Trek. And so kind of like that first. 30 minutes or so of the documentary is kind of like, Oh yeah, I already know all this stuff. But then the work that she did with NASA, I was completely unaware of how involved she was and how active she was and how many people she was able to, to recruit. The fact that the, the, the recruitment numbers went up from something like 1000 to 8,000 when, yeah. when her company got involved. And um, the, the, when they, they eventually talk about the, the challenger tragedy, uh, three of those seven astronauts were people that she had recruited. I was oh, like, man. oh, wow. Like she had like a big impact specifically, I guess, on the the space shuttle program, which started in the uh, late 70s. But yeah, I, I thought 
that she was just kind of like a PR head and and that stuff. Kind of what she says in the documentary, like she was kind of reluctant at first because she didn't want people to think it was just like a gimmick. Think like, oh, they just got like this actor to like do their commercials, and like that's kind of what I just always assumed. I guess I had no idea that it was this big of a deal. So I'm I'm grateful to have this documentary to kind of a uh, you know expose all this and and tell the story of it. Well, they explained, I think, if I'm not mistaken, her campaign lasted only like sort of four months, but it was this very intense sounding thing where she's tr- crossing the country uh, like many, many, many times over. And, and just like it sounded like it was just like a bundle of energy every day. So well, and we'll we'll go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, what is this? It's, it's not that it lasted, you know, it wasn't like, oh, it only lasted four months. It's, she only had four months to do as much as she could. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It wasn't like it got canceled or something like that. <laughs> that was like, that was the allotted time. They're like, here's your time frame. Good luck. And she just charged yeah. it. Yeah. If I could do uh, the things I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do in life uh, with that sort of energy and, and, you know, in a short span, I feel like that my success rate would be insane. <laughs> it's, yeah. Right. It's really wild. <laughs> but Father, she had a lot of drive. What's that? She had a lot of drive. She was very, she was very she, passionate about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, she knew um, she was changing the world. You know, if you knew you could change the world, you'd be like, all right, I'm doing whatever I can. No, that's probably a good way uh, to, to sort of segue a little bit to the younger years mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of discuss maybe a few of the things that happen and are mentioned in the documentary. Uh, like, because I think there's a bit of past history that suggests why she might have that drive. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Me um, too. You know, she has like these frustrations with her work on Star Trek. And I think that might have kind of that fueled her her uh, maybe like a little bit of anger but also like some drive to uh, help make the 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 world a better place at least in terms of you know representation uh, as someone who felt like she didn't get enough opportunity on that show but yeah that was that was really cool how like they they kind of started off talking about like her childhood and in Chicago and she met uh Duke Ellington yeah oh I guess I wanted to just quick mention even before that that she kind of came from a, her parents were like from different different social strata and like she said her dad was very well to do and her mom wasn't but he like was not gonna let that get in her way and even brought that up sometimes when when the mom was like oh don't fill her you know put her get her head in the clouds and the dad was like you know if we if if we didn't uh if i didn't if people didn't try and do things that seemed impossible i wouldn't have married you because apparently it was very much there was a lot of pushback against it that's when you were talking about you know her drive to do this kind of stuff. I mm-hmm. thought of her dad telling her like, look, you can do anything. You can do anything. And so she felt that. And so it seemed like she was upset that other people didn't feel that too. And so she was able to, you know, because of what she did with NASA, mm-hmm. she was like, Hey, you can do anything too. Like she kind of spread what her dad um, gave to her as a child. That's what I thought, you know, that in part with the um, being frustrated on, on Star Trek, I think it was like a, a, a beautiful marriage of those two mm. things that really like helped, you know, be her be who she was, you know? She mentioned at some point that uh, that uh, she felt growing up that she could do anything. She wanted to be like the first black ballerina and her parents seemed like they were very encouraging. And, and then, yeah, that like Star Trek was both like this great thing and also a wall in a way, like just it, so much opportunity. And then it was like, reined in and you know suffocated so so you know of course she would find this other outlet but uh but was it seems like she was always sort of pushing 
Um, uh, one of y'all uh, tell 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 us the story about like Duke Ellington. It's kind of cool. Oh well, yeah, she got like her first, uh, or, or perhaps it was just one of her first uh, jobs, like on stage performing. But he he wanted uh, he wanted her to do a, a ballet on stage while he was playing his music. And imagine that's like your first big gig is a ballet <laughs> for Duke Ellington, where he's playing the piano and shit. Oh my god! And, and then when the the singer got sick she had to step up and, and fill in for the singer because she was you know she 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 was a little lucky you know starting off like she came across duke ellington and she's also like a very talented dancer very, very talented singer and it it kind of sounds like her her dad might have had like the money to like like get her some training as a kid and was encouraging though but yeah more importantly like it's like he was encouraging her to pursue this stuff so uh she yeah she she did catch uh a, a few lucky breaks there but yeah, that was uh that was really cool to like see them explore that, and then she Father, was also kind of. Well, I just wanted to mention there was there's a funny bit in there where she says, <laughs> it's just just a funny anecdote. It, it, it humanizes her, I think. She talked about admiring this sort of sultry songstress, like the night, but you know, in the weeks before she had to take her place, and that the you know this it sounded like this lady's act that she she took over for she was very much vamping it up like Jessica Rabbit and Roger Rabbit you know, all twined around the microphone, very sexy kind of act. And that she tried to do this sort of the same thing just to mimic her, but that, uh, and that it apparently went over quite well with the crowd, but Duke Ellington was like, Hey, you don't have to do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can be your own, your own thing. Stop, um, stop trying to molest my mic. Stand. <laughs> you, don't, you can sing. You don't need to do that. I love hearing I her talk it. about the other, um, the other musicians being like, what is she doing? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> 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 I mean, I, but I just can't even imagine it when you're like, you know, I, I know it's like an amazing break, but she was just asked to go and sing for the first time, like not for the first time in her life, but the first time for like Duke Ellington, you know, with his act, um, you know, that what the day of, I think maybe the she night was, before. Yeah. She was like in the dressing room and he was like, Hey, can you sing? <laughs> hey, I need a singer. Get on stage. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, you know, when she was laughing about that, that reminds me of one of my other favorite things early on is they actually do this little just quick montage of just Nichelle Nichols laughing. And it's so good. She's like just she has that vibrant uh, uh, spirit about her, that sort of joie de vie thing. And, and like her, it's a very musical laugh. It's um, I don't know. It's honestly one of my favorite moments in the whole thing is just an, an early clip. I'm glad they I'm glad they chose to, to show it. And did you hear her musical range when she gave? Oh my a little, god! I know. <laughs> she did it when she was like, like at her present age when they made this, uh, like um, what eighties, seventies, um, and she she suddenly just just as she's like throws out some high notes. I'm not going to even try and mimic it because I'll just, <laughs> it's going to be horrible. But uh, it was shocking because she has sort of this sort of a sultry voice, and she talked about her vocal range that you know that's that she was kind of uh, born with and. Obviously, you you know trained to great degree. She also kind of like lucked out in how she got into Star Trek because she she never really saw herself as like a Hollywood type, but just in Los Angeles one day changing flights on her way to Hawaii, she's like, "Oh, this town is kind of neat. Guess I'll stick around." And, and I don't know. She, but it was more than kind of neat. Acting. She said she. <laughs> She's like fell in love with it. She was like, I love this place. I don't want to be anywhere else. And then she moved there. And she was like, oh, people act here? All right, I'll do that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
I, I forget how important this is. So I'm glad the documentary reminded me. But she was kind of there at like the earliest days of Star Trek when it was just a, kind of an idea that Gene Roddenberry was having. Oh, she right. was on the uh, the episode of, of Gene Roddenberry's earlier show, The Lieutenant. And if, I don't know they, anything they, about they, that. They, they talk about this a little bit. What was The Lieutenant actually mostly about? Other, you know, I, yeah, what was it mostly about? It was about uh, Marines on like a Marine base, I think, in California. It was like it, was like, it wasn't like off at war. It was like at home. Um, it, I so think she it was, was like a guest of... star, and I saw she was yes. kissing a guy in the clip uh, who was also black. Um, I, I think he was kind of lighter skinned, but he, he was black too, I think. Yeah, she's so the I... wife of a black Marine who okay. can't get along with a white Marine because of like race relations. And that was considered too, uh, too risque to put on TV in 1962 or whenever it was. So they, they, did, they didn't even air the episode. Wow. And uh, Gene Roddenberry Gee, was be so a clearer angry. sign that they needed to air the episode <laughs> than that they couldn't air the episode. Absolutely. But uh, our, our friend Larry Nemechek, who's uh, literally a Star Trek historian, the way he describes this was like that was made Gene Roddenberry so mad that he created Star Trek so that he could have a setting to do those types of stories. Be like, I'll just do it in the future with like aliens and no one will care. <laughs> it's amazing. And she, ins- you know, she was a totally inspiration for her own character in name and in like creation. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's probably common knowledge among fans, but I guess I didn't know that either. What was the, Ooh. it was a book, right? Yes, uh, there was a Swahili word for freedom. When she auditioned, she auditioned for Spock because they hadn't even written her character yet. Right, well, she no, was just I, like I, reading I think, lines. Yeah, I think I think they just had her read for Spock. As, oh, right, I guess like Roddenberry, what was it? It was kind of like Roddenberry wanted to have a, a role for her and, and they just kind of wanted to, what, see if she could act I, I guess, guess I guess she, they did not have any sides. Yeah, they didn't read. have any lines. She they, she they she didn't have a personality. There was no lines. Like there was nothing created other than like character number seven. Yeah, she, she also about, had another relationship like, with with like there's another side to her relationship with Gene Roddenberry that the documentary like doesn't go into. But I sure. mean, uh, he he was having an affair with her, which I think is fairly public knowledge now. So, <laughs> so like that was uh, probably a big part, like why she was like front and center in his mind and why he was like getting a job for her. You know, same thing with the other woman he was cheating on his wife with uh, Majel Barrett was, <laughs> yeah. was also given a job on Star Trek. But, yeah. Um, Sometimes the, uh, the path to, to greatness is, is a, uh, a winding one. <laughs> Different times then too, like looser, <laughs> looser boundaries of love. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm and and honestly, these, uh, these talented women on, on board in the franchise, so it worked out. At least, yeah. at least he wasn't like like uh, picking up some some chicks he like couldn't act, and then trying to like get those <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> yeah, that would have been the worst sin is to pick up some untalented people to cheat with. I wonder. I wonder what came first—the affair or the talent? Or if he was like, "Oh, talent! All right, I can have an affair with that." Or if he was like, "Oh, I'm having an affair. Oh, you're talented." You know, it did seem like he he he, he wanted people to like him. Maybe it was just to be a sounding board. He might have been all ego. You know, I, I like I, I know that that's part of who he was. But he talked. She mentions that he would like talk politics with her all the time. And so this is a guy I clearly was always wanting to engage with the world. 
and wanting to engage with the people he knew or was was uh, in relationships with um, uh, on on the topic. So um, I I hope he valued her input and was not just blah 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 to <laughs> hear his own thoughts. Um. Since you're talking about politics, can we talk about how um, Martin Luther King told her to keep the role? That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah we should, we should mention her her frustrations on on the original series when they they weren't giving Uhura as big of a part as she was originally led to believe. Yeah. yeah do you, Do you want to go roll with the story, Katie? Um, well, she was frustrated with the part because they weren't giving her <laughs> as as much as she wanted. And you know, one of the things she said, they were like, "What was your what was your favorite episode?" And she said, "Anytime I was off the deck," <laughs> you know, which says a lot. Um, but she was ready to quit. She was talking to Martin Luther King, and he was like, "No, you can't quit. Um, you know, you're you're basically a, a symbol and an inspiration to people, and you have to stay on there." Yeah, I, I think he was explaining like her that. You know, even just her presence um, was meaningful. Um, and I mean, God, I guess uh, when Martin Luther King talks, <laughs> you gotta listen. You listen. <laughs> <laughs> but she was so ballsy. She was even like, she said that she was thinking like, now who is this guy to tell me like what job I can and can't do? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah she, I like she that. did listen to him. Actually, I like throughout the whole throughout the whole documentary. She's got this. Um, uh, what's the, the the Yiddish word? Chutzpah. She's got some. Mm-hmm. She's got this energy and 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 honestly, faith in herself. She's got a self confidence that comes through. It's not arrogance at all. It's it's just a uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of sassy self awareness about uh, she's not gonna she's not gonna be talked down to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, in fact, there was where was it? Um, uh, th- that's right. I, I actually jotted this down. Uh, when she's talking about when she was almost going to leave the show, uh, one of the interviewers, you kind of hear him say off screen, she's like, and you weren't ha- or, you know, about the, the weakness of the role. She's like, uh, he's like, and you weren't having it. And she's like, would Uhura? And I, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it is unfortunate because they actually were planning on giving her a bigger part in the beginning when, when Gene Roddenberry was creating the show. He wanted to have more spotlight on some of these secondary characters. And it, from what I understand, it was more of an influence from uh, the other producer, Gene L. Coons, who, who wrote some amazing stories. But his idea was to keep the spotlight on McCoy, Spock, and Kirk, and everyone else was much less important. Uh, so that I can understand her being mad about that when, you know, she's someone who kind of views acting as kind of a secondary thing like she's more primarily thinks of herself as like a stage person Mm -hmm. you know working in music or singing dancing whatever and so she could probably yeah get fed up real fast if like oh like i i don't even want to do this that much and they're not even let me let me do it what i want to do so i kind of do want a different job but uh but but i'm glad she stayed because uh i think that kind of if she would have left after two seasons i i don't know if they would have like made it a priority to bring her back and the animated series or the movies and, and Uhura might not have been one of the, like the prominent seven original series people. So I am glad that she right. did stay she and kind of solidify to, her place there. To icon status mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. in there. Which allowed her to do everything with NASA. You know, it was a, right. it was a springboard for, for <laughs> her to, you know, be an inspiration even further. So yeah, yeah let's talk about how that happened. Um, she was at a convention 
1975 convention, which was in her hometown of Chicago. Was it a sci-fi convention or a Star Trek it w- specific? It was. It was a Star Trek specific convention, from what mm-hmm. I understand. I, back back then in the seventies, I think they were doing like one big convention every year, and that's what I guess they're going back to starting next year uh, in Chicago again when they're doing uh, Mission Chicago in April, which is going to be the big official convention. And then they, they they promise to like do a different one every year after that, but in different cities across the country. So that is like a little bit more of a kind of old school thing that they used to do in the seventies. What was I forget? She was on. Was it a panel? There was a NASA guy there. Uh, the NASA the guy was name. there. Do, he was doing a presentation. He was doing a panel, and the, right. his name was a uh, Jesko von Puttkamer. And she does it. She tells the story in his German accent when yes. I was. I was oh like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, she can do voices. She did a lot of voices on the animated series. A lot of times, if, like uh... they needed like a female alien, and like Majel couldn't do it, they'd be like, "Nichelle, can you like do like some weird voice?" <laughs> and doesn't the guy kind of confesses like I think he says you know like he was there to at the convention to because of like Star Trek's qualities but also to check out like Uhura's legs. <laughs> I wanted to see if her legs were as sexy as I think they are. Like what yeah. was this quote? <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I will say I wanted to mention um, that uh, if if you if for any out there uh, and I, for the many out there uh, who who find Uhura uh, find Michelle Nichols very attractive, this is a great documentary to watch because she, there's a lot of very beautiful photographs of her throughout it, uh, especially like in her dancing days uh, and and really like you can see her uh, her athleticism, her beauty, her sexiness. It's um it is a it's a pretty pretty some remarkable visuals. <laughs> so you'll see where von what's his name was coming from. <laughs> von Puttkamer. Von Puttkamer, yes. Yeah, that ridiculous name. It sounds like a, like a cartoon scientist that just wanted to name like the most ridiculous thing ever. Uh, but yeah, that kind of started her on on her whole crusade because at the time in 1975 there were no women astronauts. Right. She was she said she was like watching, I guess, his, I guess, presentation and really taken with this, you know, that sort of energy and the the, the vibrancy of space exploration with it. But she was keenly aware that women and, and minorities were poorly represented in like all the visuals, I guess, she was seeing. Um, but didn't was it what happened when she went to um, NASA? D- didn't she say that there was um, more diversity than, than she thought, right. but it wasn't represented mm-hmm. when it was presented? Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah, like it's... not publicly promoted, really. Yeah, NASA had kind of like made a change internally. They had kind of like rec- recognized the issue, and they, they they did have like a lot of women, you know, working in administrative positions and other technical positions and and all kinds of stuff. But they're they're had not yet been any women astronauts and and they kind of, you know, they, it sounded like they were very open to having like an ambassador to go in and like help them recruit. Well, they didn't even yeah. know. They were like, how do we do it? She's like, you need to advertise this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of funny. You get the feeling of like kind of a bunch of stiff kind of engineers and nerds. And they're like, how do we get people to like us? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, you get out there and talk to them. And, and you know, she's, she's so personable. Uh, and, and everything that yeah that uh, uh, she seemed like uh, the 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 ended up being the ideal person for the job. And what I thought was interesting was that it sounded like the the military had really controlled astronaut recruitment for a long time, and I had right. never heard this before. But they they had like this old uh, woman uh, uh, pilot 
who was talking about the Mercury space program, which goes all the way back, started in the fifties. In mm-hmm. And uh, during the Mercury program, when they were, I guess the air force was testing uh, pilots or testing candidates to be astronauts. They tested like 150 something men and mm-hmm. found like only 27 or something of them qualified. And then they tested like 50 women. And, and there was actually more women that qualified than the men, which I thought was very interesting. And, and, and they didn't recruit any of them though. Right. You, because you had to have uh, actual like flight experience, flight time experience in those as, days as, as, a, as a test pilot, as a test pilot. And it was it was literally just prohibited for, for women. You know what? My favorite quote of, of it, of the whole um, movie was. Um, so she was asked by a reporter. He was like, oh, you know, how do you think women would fare in this man's world? And she was like. This isn't a man's world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had that very leading question, which is like oh, yeah. if you, all those old interviews. I, I see this all the time. I remember there was I was watching an interview with Helen Mirren, and it was the this, the questions are sexist. Like they're kind of like couched in a you know like, well, this is just how it is, right? And uh, I love when I love when there's pushback. I know it wasn't easy. Like you know, it wasn't easy to have that kind of energy and pushback in those days. Yeah, she just looked him straight in the eye and she was like, "This isn't a man's world." <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, they yeah, talked about you know, like NASA was essentially kind of a boys' club with all those like you know, fifties test pilot astro- guys out of the military. Uh, a lot of Air Force guys, or all Air Force guys, I guess. Um, um, and so let's see, I'm trying to think they, um, what, let's see, what she ended up doing was essentially, well, she formed her own company somewhere in there, literally called women, women in motion, mm-hmm. not, not woman, women in motion, which, um, was, I, as I understood, it was like initially like maybe sort of like an educational venture, but became part of this recruitment drive and, uh, started kind of like you know, just actively going out and, and speaking to recruits and especially focusing on uh, women and people of color. Yeah. And she was well, hitting she, up she, college campuses yeah, and, and she like toured universities and mm-hmm. um, different like, organizations, like women organizations or uh, different organizations for different um, minority groups uh, or people of color, as we would call them today. But yeah, just kind of like getting the word out because there there had never been like a drive to recruit as- astronauts from like the civilian sector. It had always been something that the the military had always kind of controlled. Mm-hmm. I, I jotted down, Father. You mentioned at the top of the podcast the um, some of the numbers, and I think she said that they, this is what they said that in an eight month period of recruiting um, prior to Michelle stepping in, that there were 1,500 astronaut applications, only 100 were from women and 35 from minorities. When she finished, after this four-month period, there were over 8,000 applications. Uh, over 1,600 of them were from women. More than all, that's actually more than the all of the astronaut applications in the previous eight months. And over 1,000 of those were from minorities. So it's just, it, you know, like an insane drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty empirical, I guess that that uh, she, yeah. she was the, she had the winning strategy for what they were the trying proof to accomplish. Was in the, pudding. Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah, the it, thing that's both like amazing, it's like really beautiful early on, and then very very sad when they talk about the people that she knew on the Challenger, is that she says that the recruits were like children, like her own children, and it's um, really very touching both times she talks about it. First, just like in a very joyous way, and then in a very sad way later. 
Um, I cried. <laughs> yeah, it, I'll admit it, it. <laughs> was tough. It was tough. Um, um, I remember watching the Challenger explode on on television when I was little, and it was a big moment. It was like I feel like it was our Kennedy moment. Moment. Same. I was. Uh, I, yeah, I was like in. Um, I think fifth grade, and I can remember roughly about where what class I was and everything at at the time. And uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where to kids uh, at the time. NASA was kind of something that was, I don't know, sort of just pure and sort of good. And like, I only ever saw positive things from them. I didn't even know about like sort of the, some of the tragic deaths early on. Um, and then to have that happen, you know, sort of while everyone was watching was brutal. And then, you know, it, that group of people really represented America, right? It was, it was all colors, all different um, nationalities. And um you know, to see, and and for kids at that time to look and be like, I could be that, and you could be anybody, and look at those group of people and say, I could do that too, was such a big deal back then. And to see it like it, it's like you know, almost like explode in your face, it was a little jaunting, a little jaunting. It was very. Jaunting. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a testament to the perseverance of all the people involved that they were basically able to get back on the saddle and and keep going. And you know, still make all these amazing uh, voyages. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it, like you can't imagine like a rougher sort of setback. I thought that was kind of cool how they cut in the uh, the risk is our business speech from Captain Kirk. Yeah, yeah. about because there there was like a two and a half year gap where there there were no American space flights, and then uh, and and then when they they did start um, using the space shuttles again in eighty, I think September of eighty eight. Uh, yeah, I like yeah, seeing that, that. That was really cool. I like seeing that scene. They also did a neat thing where during the opening credits, where they 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 move from like footage of NASA stuff to a star field, uh, and then the star field becomes the opening of Star Trek with the the, the very you know famous yeah, theme music. Yeah. Then they cut they cut to Star Trek Las Vegas. But what excited me in the opening credits is when it shows like the spaceships and stuff. It kind of made me think of, like the Enterprise opening credits when it yeah. opens with astronauts and has like a yeah, what's your song favorite playing. theme song? Uh, the, the, with the worst song ever recorded, but I, I was just thinking, like, if I everybody's got to acknowledge context, the, the visuals. The visuals in the opening yes. of Enterprise are very heart heartening. But but if I saw this opening credit like out of context, like, like if I could take like it back in time and show it to myself and it, see like the names in the credits, it's like Michael Dorn and uh, Walter Koenig. I'd be like, oh, is this like a new Star Trek movie or something? <laughs> and then it says Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King the Third. I'd, mm -hmm. Al, Al Sharp, I would have been like, what the hell kind of movie is this? It would have uh, freaked me out a little bit. I mean, we haven't mentioned it, but yeah, of course, there's all sorts of guests uh, in there sort of doing testimonials and reflections. A lot of people who worked with her, but like John Lewis is in there um, and uh, Ahsoka uh, is in there. Well, is that right? Yeah, um, Ashley uh, Eccleson, I, I think the, the voice actress who, who did Ahsoka in, in the Star Wars cartoons. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. Rebels. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was in there for some reason. And then there's also just lots of some some you know there's fandom in there too. Uh, um, that you know they talk about. She talked about early on that mixture of sort of fantasy and fact, and the sort of the way her life would end up sort of blurring those, which is pretty cool. And and you know to think about like, you know, you're both putting on uh, like these stories that sort of push at least our imaginations forward and, you know, make us engage with these sort of thoughts and then ideas about morality. But um, 
but that actually to actually have like a, a concrete influence, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the with their direct sort of uh, lineage of, of through NASA is, is, I mean, really pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to have like these, you know, optimistic depictions of the future like Star Trek, because if we, if we can't imagine it, if all we can imagine are like all these other dystopian sci-fi futures, then, you know, how, how can we ever hope to achieve something better in reality if we can't even like have it in our imaginations? That's so true. true. Right. It's, you know, leading by example, it's like we watch something, we're like, we can do that too. You know, but like you're saying, if we keep seeing this dystopian, you know, things, we'll, you know, when we interact with something, we're like, it's going to go to hell. It well, reminds me limitation, of the, the limitation on Star Trek where, where they didn't they, they didn't give her, you know, the, as big of a role that she wanted. She's probably like, well, what the hell? I'm going to I'm going to make all these other people have like a bigger <laughs> role in real life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk about paying it forward, you know, um, <laughs> I uh, I'm not that altruistic. No, <laughs> I work at it. I work at it. <laughs> but it is inspirational. Um, the uh, what was I going to say? They also there was a there was a bit in there where they showed the launch of the first uh, space shuttle, uh, the Enterprise, uh, and it was the launch was like sort of screened, or they had the original Star Trek cast on hand. Yeah. And, it, wasn't uh, a, it wasn't a launch. They just uh, they just kind of wheeled it out. That's and, right. It was kind well, of a yeah a promotional sort of thing. Yeah, that's the one um, that never went into space. The, uh, right. the other the other four all did, but that one like, right. Never, it did do like a test. Left. You know, they've done test. You know, uh, essentially inner. What do you call it? Like non orbital flights. Yeah, it it like piggybacked on the carrier plane that would, right. would transport them around. But uh, Walter Koenig is in that section, and he says that he he was like suddenly they were part of something real. And I thought that was uh, also very cool. That that yeah. was awesome. Yeah. And then I liked when, when um, Nichelle was going through all the astronaut training, right. And she landed. Oh yeah. Remember? And she landed it perfectly. And they were like, how did you do that? And she was like, that wasn't me. <laughs> right. That was my yeah, she's like, that was like, Uhura. Uhura did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she landed the was... simulator. This was a, before she, I guess her notion was before she was going to start recruiting for them, she wanted a, a better idea, maybe a little bit more, some more of a hands-on as to like what she was going to be asking people to do, what it meant to be an astronaut. And so there's a lot of, um, so, so basically she did a lot of the training. She wore a flight suit, uh, you know, um, they, they, they took her through all that, which is also like had to be a thrill, probably a little bit grueling. Yeah, you know that she meant business. Like she was taking it very serious. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it was. I think she. I mean, one, she probably wanted to do it because I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? And, right. Uh, two, it was like, oh, I'm going to show that I'm a woman of color and a woman, and this is possible, right? Because when you see somebody do something, you're like, oh, if they could do it, I could do it too. And she probably, in her marketing mind, was like, this needs to happen so that people see that it's possible. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they had any, like, uh, you know, when she would be on campus and stuff, if there was, like, any photos of herself in those, uh, you know, in the spacesuit or in the simulator or anything like that. That'd That's be cool. Good question. I wonder if there's any, like, if anybody has any, like, Like photos. the materials? Yeah. Or, 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 or yeah, photos well, they, they and stuff? They had some footage of that in the, in the thing. But, in like, the you know, somebody who was actually on campus and saw her and, oh. then, and then was like, oh, let me have put a photo of me and, her, you know, Michelle, and she's yeah. in her outfit. 
It was also cool question. because all that stuff was at uh, the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And uh, I've, I've actually... Dave, have you ever been there? Have I've toured not. It? Um, yeah, like that big... Definitely on my to-do. They don't, they don't have that they don't have that big pool for like the zero g training someone was telling me mm. the other day they actually like have like a new one in Pasadena Texas that they, that they use now but uh, it just, when she's walking around with that other astronaut who's the commander from Apollo 12 like mm-hmm. like the, 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 those buildings they're walking around like they're still there in Houston like people can go still tour those so that was cool that made it seem like even more I guess like connected to my life It's like oh yeah like I've been there yeah that's uh that's kind of cool walking the so- footsteps. This might be a really dumb question of, of, from me, but is there really a hologram of her at a at a um, museum where she talks about what she's done or like the space program? Do you guys know uh, what I'm talking about? Was not, that a thing in there? Not that yeah. I know of. I think I yeah. like I might have blinked and missed it. <laughs> it was towards the end because she it was talking about when she started the STEM programs. Um, right. And then it was like a com- it was a commercial of her, and there was that little girl. And they were, and all the kids got off the bus, and then they went to the museum. Yeah, that and was then in she Washington. Was... That's a, that was at the Smithsonian Museum of like Air and Space Flight or whatever it's called. Uh, so is so... it really a hologram of her? I don't know. I didn't see that when I was there. I think that was. Just, <laughs> I think that was just something that they were doing back then in the seventies. Well, they should make that happen. We yeah, should really start a petition. <laughs> she's in her. She's in her uniform from the motion picture. Star Trek the motion picture which came out in December of 79 so that must have been like the early 80s uh which would have been I guess like after after she'd done this recruitment drive which I, I think most of the the recruitment of it happened in 77 I I think I might be a little wrong on some of these dates but that's kind of when that's kind of when NASA was gearing up for the the space shuttle program I don't know when the first launch was I think maybe 81 That sounds right 80 or 81 Yeah but yeah, she had a big influence on that entire program, or at least like that first decade of it. Yeah, all this time I didn't know that she was kind of like NASA royalty. Yeah, she's <laughs> like uh, she's kind of like the mother of like the that space shuttle astronaut generation. You know, after after Apollo had shut down and NASA transitioned into the space shuttle. Well, yeah, if she's if they she said she thought of them as her kids, so that makes her their mom. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. You know, when, what I thought was cool when they were, t- um, the astronauts were talking about going into space and he was like, oh, I wish I could get all the politicians up here so they could look down on Earth mm. and understand that all the inhabitants um, were not these like different types of people were all just inhabitants on one planet. And I was like, oh, that's kind of what Star Trek was trying to, you know, mm-hmm. say to people in throughout the time. And it's. Like come up here and you look down at one. It's you know. Yeah. When I was growing up, I realized, uh, you know, not that I've ever thought about it like quite at the time, but that a lot of the sort of early sort of uh, morality of Star Trek that would come through was crossing over with some of the science stuff. Like I'd watch Carl Sagan's Cosmos and stuff as a kid, and you know he'd talk about the Earth as the what is it the um, what's the blue blue dot? I, I forget. Yeah, pale, pale blue dot. Pale blue dot, yeah. Um, where, yeah, it's 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 sort of you know it, it should be this sort of humbling, unifying thing, and uh, you know the, the space exploration should kind of, you know, you want it to be this thing that brings us together, and you know our fiction showed it as this thing. It's convincing the rest of the world <laughs> that uh, 
that they should see it that way. That's a, uh, it's a little difficult at times. Yeah. I really enjoyed that too. I think that was a uh, Colonel uh, Frederick Gregory. Uh, and he was, he was the astronaut who said he was actually like a uh, air force dude, but yeah. he, he joined through the, the civilian recruitment. Cause he said like, they would, they wouldn't have picked me if I went through the, the military route. Oh, that's right. That's right. I love that. He, he, he saw the commercial. <laughs> he saw the commercial and he, he says like, he's, you know, joking, but he's like, you know, she pointed at me and she's like, NASA needs you. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I'll go and apply. <laughs> One of the other exciting things about the documentary is just to see, uh, you know, these uh, um, uh, people of color in these, you know, that, that were pilots and astronauts and all this, uh, just reflecting on it. It's, it's, it's a reminder that, you know, to that, like how much representation matters. And, it, you know, it's, it's just great to see these guys out there. They have that, you know, they all have that sort of NASA can do attitude, which is always cool to see, too. Yeah, and it's it, when they would talk about, oh, we're all family, and I, it, when he, when I forget who said that, they're like, you know, we all got together and we're all family, and I it immediately reminded me of it's not what you look like, it's how you almost think and and what your actions are, because you know, if you think about all these NASA people, their brains are kind of all think the same way. They're like super mechanical and methodical, and and so of course they're 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 all the same because that's how they think. But it didn't matter who like what they were on the outside. They just all had that crazy brain on the inside. <laughs> yeah. A, uh, the, the very much, kind of a representation of the meritocracy that Trek, um, Trek portrays for us. And, um, and the space shuttle program was kind of the first opportunity to really, you know, start putting a lot of people into space. Cause before that with, you know, Mercury and with Apollo, we're, we're only sending like one dude or, or two or three dudes at a time. And, yeah, yeah, and they were only about, recruiting those those uh, those test pilot dudes in the Air Force. So I hadn't thought about what that transition really meant until I saw this documentary that um, that there was a time when uh, you know you know like like NASA was kind of like they said in the seventies you know they were downsizing uh, that it was you know it was a time of a general malaise for the country and and like an economic downturn. So um, uh, the, the fact that they were able to eke up an opportunity out of this is is itself also pretty impressive. You know, it's, it was not an easy time to do it, but it was a time when NASA was overtly trying to do it. That they yeah. actually wanted to. And a part of that might have just been, you know, shame of like being like outdone. Uh, they 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 mentioned like yeah, like the Russians had already been sending women into space, and you know they 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 sent some people of color into space too. Like like. It's kind of like a troll move to the United States. Like they were sending like, <laughs> Vietnamese guys. They'd get like, oh, look, like this little country, Vietnam, that like beat you in a war. We're sending them into space. Like, Y'all can't even get like anyone but like these white dudes up there. <laughs> so I, th I think it, that was like a part of it, too. It's um, funny but, how competition drives change and yeah. evolution. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's a, like a, a sort of fearful or even a bitter competition. But, you know, it, uh sometimes that's what works. So, you know. Yeah, just like, you know, I, I, I think of Michelle and it's, you know, she got into it because the scientists wanted to see her sexy legs. And it's like, OK, whatever it works, whatever, if you got to get there. The door. <laughs> she, she stuck her leg into that door and then pushed it open and let let all the other uh, women and people of color in behind her. Uh, there's there's a line in the end. It's really moving uh, that uh, someone says uh uh, she went into it an actress. She ended up changing the world. Um, so yeah, I 
there was something else I wanted to mention, which was that I know, you know, I, I've just kind of heard sort of through the, the grapevine. I don't attend, I haven't really been to Trek conventions, but I knew that Nichelle Nichols might have been in like a little bit of mental decline or maybe even serious mental decline in recent years. And I, I don't know when this documentary was, uh, you, it was released like what, two years ago initially? Yes. And yeah. may have been filmed in what, like over the course of a couple years prior to that? Um, if I had to yeah, guess. Yeah, the latest footage in it was probably, I would assume like 2018, give or take a yeah. year. Yeah. But I can say that she was extremely cogent. Like she was like whip, whip smart, on the spot, funny, uh, you know, energetic and, and all those things. I'm sure she's, she if, if you know, uh, she probably has even even then could have been struggling, you know, good days and bad and that kind of thing. But uh, but but like when you see this, you'll see the the best of her and you'll see that strength. Yeah. 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 It, it made me it was kind of bittersweet for me to watch that because I, I really enjoyed seeing it. You know, it does it does make me sad to think that like yeah like she's less healthy now yeah but um her passion was you know. i mean it, her passion was so strong you know what i mean like even if like whatever was happening in the world outside of the camera it didn't matter because her passion was so strong in that moment and i i was thinking the same thing it's like this beautiful strong passionate woman we all we all get old and it doesn't last forever but it's so cool because her what she's done and her image and everything, it is going to last. So mm -hmm. it, it was a bittersweet, it was a bittersweet watch. It is. The the documentary itself doesn't particularly address any of that. It's just, it's just kind of there, you know, it's, it's, it, you can't help but, you know, kind of acknowledge it. Um, I, I really like how they end uh, in the, the credits they let her, she sings. <laughs> um, <laughs> she sings, uh, what is, is it Sinatra's song? Yeah, fly me to the moon. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like that voice is just as good as ever. Yeah, she um, she still has some pipes when when yeah. they shot that for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's nuts. She looks so <laughs> casual doing it, like like yeah, like like she 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 just looks like so comfortable in the recording booth, and it's just oh kind of like casually like just her, reading the words her, off the page. Five hundredth time or or far or farther <laughs> down the line, and in, in a recording booth, I'm sure. She's probably more comfortable there than she maybe ever was on like, you know, movie sets and stuff. It's true. And yeah, more valued in some ways. <laughs> so. I just want to point out in our live chat audience, we uh, have Dr. BNNC. Uh, thanks for joining us. Who is pointing out that uh, Dr. May Jemison was not just a fan and friend, the first African-American woman astronaut. She was a mission specialist launched multiple times and she used the phrase hailing frequencies are open at the start of her shifts she was lieutenant palmer in <laughs> next generation second right. chances and she was also yeah, yeah they, they showed her Michelle. yes oh yeah yeah and there was um someone else who appeared in star trek there there's a male astronaut who showed up at one point uh there, there's been a few uh, trek, trek gets some of the big cameos sometimes uh, mm -hmm. so we're lucky that the franchise is enjoyed by like so many uh, high profile people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, that's the credit of the franchise. It's more than just luck. I mean, it's the, it's the effort that people have put into it. Um, oh, and we should comment. This is one of my favorite parts of it was uh Whoopi Goldberg briefly shows up <laughs> who, who Whoopi tells like this famous story of like watching star Trek and seeing mm -hmm. Michelle Nichols on there excited her as a kid. And she went running through her, her her house 
yelling for her mom, you know, mom, mom, come look at the TV. There's a black lady on TV and she ain't no maid. Like, like yeah. I've, heard, I've heard Whoopi tell this story so many times. And they had footage of the 2016 Star Trek Las Vegas, which was I wasn't there, but I heard it was like a big one. It was the 50th anniversary. A lot of people showed up and they had Whoopi and Michelle together on stage. And I, I, I wish to hell like I could have been there because I would have loved mm. to have seen that with my own eyes. Yeah, I thought that was like so cool to see, you know, like Whoopi, like fangirl for Nichelle, like in person on stage in front of a huge audience, which would just be a really cool thing to be a part of. That was such a great moment. You're you're right. That was a major like standout moment. And then when she was like, "This isn't about me. It's about you," mm-hmm. you know, she said, that and "Michelle was like, oh. Yeah, yeah it's kind of <laughs> like she's like, "Sorry, Michelle, you're just gonna have to sit here and be complimented." <laughs> <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg coming soon to Star Trek Picard season two, or so we've been told. Right on. Right Something on. to look forward to. Were there any other key moments for y'all that really stood out that we haven't touched on? I think I, I think I mentioned uh, most of the big ones for me I, I, in my notes. I'm kind of skimming through them now to, to see if there was anything else. Um, uh, but I think I actually I hit most of the stuff that I that I wanted to kind of uh, be sure. Oh, you know what? There is one other thing. Here's one. Um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson at one point uh, he was just talking about the the role she played on the show or the, the role Star Trek played. Uh, this is actually a, even a somewhat separate from Nichelle Nichols. And he says that – I kind of like how he put it. He says, the fact that it was set in a distant time and place gave it access to the present in a way storytelling of the present would not. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was just a nice, cogent, re- really cogent way of putting it about, like, what Trek could do. Um, well, the lieutenant couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I always say it's a show in the future, but it's about today. I, I, I think that's, that's something that, that Trek often aspires to be. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, you know, and it, it, this was uh, the only way you can guarantee safety is to never launch. Um, you know, because after after the Challenger, they, they were like, we have to keep going, have to keep going. And um, it just makes you realize, like, oh, I, you know, you'll never be safe. If you need to move forward, you'll never be safe, but that's okay because <laughs> you have to launch. I was like, that was really inspiring. Yeah, that uh, that ethos is is impressive as as hell. Yeah, and people who are into Star Trek tend to be like into space exploration. So it's it's a cool little connective tissue that uh, most yeah, of us honestly, will, will enjoy. Honestly, uh, I'd like to, it'd be kind of cool if they uh, could tap into that again. Yeah, uh, I think, in a more, you know, in like an overt sort of way and not sort of in this sort of general way. Well, it, I, it reminds me of, um, I meant just like general life, like, oh, I'm scared to go outside or I'm scared to start this project or I'm scared to like be an entrepreneur. Right. So it's never safe. But, you you know, you'll never get it launched if you want to be safe. Yeah. Boldly mm-hmm. go. Boldly go. <laughs> it's right there in the opening. <laughs> Yeah, that's my that's my uh, family's uh, motto. Whatever the Latin is for, like fortune favors the bold. I found oh, when, really? I, when I went to, went to when I went to Ireland, I was doing like some family history research. I was like, oh, like the, our motto was fortune favors the bold. But yeah. I like I like a bold or boldly go is the is the way I want to phrase it. Yeah, yeah. nice and to short and to the point. Uh, the the other thing that I wanted to point out that uh, I thought was uh, was kind of neat. 
was when they did like that little montage it made me laugh of like all the times when she said uh, hailing frequencies are open like like there are more ha- hailing frequencies open than there are uh he's dead jim or or uh uh you know i'm i'm a doctor not a whatever like like she really did say that a whole lot so um i thought that was like well edited and the, the whole thing it was it was kind of a, a pretty well produced documentary yeah i thought so like in general i i feel like I, I, this is just should just be like an automatic watch for trekkies i think um, i think it, like there's multiple reasons to see it even if you're not a trekkie you know for it's, it's the historical you know value whether you're if you're a space junkie or you just want to see uh a an inspiring story about an african-american woman you know there's 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 a lot of different angles but i i thought it was really well done good music uh kind of tugs at the heartstrings in a nice way that's i think very star trek um and uh so yeah i, I think it is a pretty easy recommend yeah it has some yeah. production value behind it it's not it's not like some like little like nat geo made for tv thing it's like oh like some uh some some money and effort went into making this thing over in the uh comments jill 47 says it's at 100 percent on rotten tomatoes uh, yes not too shabby <laughs> so that's pretty good um but yeah so that those were our thoughts on woman in motion but we would love to uh hear back from our viewers and listeners if anyone wants to uh leave a comment or uh, hit us up on Twitter or our uh, email address and let us know like your thoughts on Woman in Motion. And uh, again, uh, as I said at the top of the show, we will be off next week. We don't have any new content coming out on the 11th, but the, the week after that on the 18th, Dave and I shall return to Deep Space Nine to get into season four. And uh, we're, we're going to break that up a little differently. We're going to do three weeks of season four. We're going to do it in like little eight or nine episode chunks. Yeah, time. just let it breathe a little bit more. Yeah, it's, and there's there's a lot of juicy stuff that, that's going to happen. So we're going to awesome want to focus on it. And, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Dave's seen it for the first time. I'm seeing it for the 47th time. Uh, the, the people who, who like those really like them. So if you haven't checked out our DS9 conversations, uh, you know, we, we, we come at it with, with two pretty... Uh, different perspectives and i think i think we have some pretty fun conversations i would listen to it (laughs) i feel like people should if only to see where my uh my surmises about future events are wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah listen to dave Uh, listen to me try so hard to not give anything away because i hate spoiling things for people and listen to dave predict things wrongly (laughs) listen I feel like my assessment of it based on the information at hand was good, but uh, we'll we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Um, Katie, thank you for joining us. Anytime. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, until next time, as always, live long and prosper y'all. Listen to the text Trek podcast through Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek and follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.